Hey, welcome back to Happily Mental, episode 18. It's been a few months, and I apologize for not being on the ball. I had to remove a couple things from my plate in order to make room for kidney surgery. So I helped my friend out by (laughs) giving her one of my kidneys. A lot of the testing that, you know, I had to go through started in January and we finally just had the surgery a couple weeks ago. So yeah, it's it's taken up a lot of my brain space and, you know, sadly I had to make the decision to put my podcast and my, you know, small little jewelry hobby aside to make room for this important thing. Um, I don't regret it 100%. I'm so happy that I was able to help her and my kidney is doing very well with Tanya. She's so healthy and the doctors are just, you know, so happy with how well she's doing and how well it's doing for her and I'm doing well also and it ended so well. So yeah, I'm excited to come back and produce more episodes for you. And thank you, Ellie, my guest this week. We honestly recorded this so long ago, like end of December, which I should have edited it and got it up back then, but I did not. So that's on me. (laughs) Just a little heads up. We talk about intimate partner violence this week. If that's something that you're looking to learn more about and hear Ellie's story and, you know, get maybe educated by her knowledge, I don't know why I said that so strange, (laughs) then please keep listening. Uh, If you feel that it might be upsetting to you, if it might hit a nerve of any sort, this is a good time for you to stop and revisit next month. That's my goal. I'm going to say next I'm going to say once a month I will record. And of course Miles just had to get his two cents in as well. So, sorry about that. Anyways, without further ado, let's get right into it. Welcome Ellie. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I have another special guest on this week. It's Ellie. <laughs> Ellie and I work together. Well, you're leaving to Toronto very, very soon. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. And we've been talking about doing a podcast episode for a while now. Miles is playing right now, so there might be some noise, but that's fine. (laughs) He'll do what he wants. Ellie is here to talk about women. You know, some experiences that we go through, and she's going to share some of her experiences, and maybe I'll share some of mine. Yeah, why don't why don't you start by introducing yourself and what you're up to these days? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> okay, my name's Ellie. Um, currently enrolled in a master's program. York gave me funding for this program which is looking at intimate partner violence against women and looking at the use of restorative justice instead of punitive justice and what that would look like to implement. It's something I think that is sorely needed right now because uh, the preliminary research I've done shows that something like 70% of women in Canada aren't reporting intimate partner violence when it happens. And there's a lot of reasons why that happens, including um, fear of retribution, um, not wanting to admit to it, uh, a lot of shame. Um, and for me personally, recognizing that my partner, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that my partner had uh, his own trauma and mental health issues and going through the, the punitive justice system and, and going through the police um, often ignores that context and just recognizes the person in that moment for the harm that they're doing. So that's not to say that, that women shouldn't pursue punitive measures, especially in emergency situations. That's just my personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, 
thing about restorative justice, especially with mental health, is, like, just finding the best way to, like, solve and, like, prevent problems from happening again with that person. And sometimes going through the normal judicial system and, like, sending them to jail opposed to, like, a hospital where they can get help treatment isn't the best thing, especially at the beginning. Like, who's to say they can't do both, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's something that restorative justice can offer. Um, uh, There's a couple of different styles, but say, like, a mediation process would have um, an official mediator who's trained in it to sit between um, the person who's harmed and the person that's causing the harm. And they could look at things like a restraining order or jail time or um, looking at what both people need, not just looking at like, okay, you've, you've committed harm and we need to punish you before we bring you back into society. Mm-hmm. Um, they look at um, the survivor process and looking at what is actually needed. And that's something that the punitive system really leaves out. It's uh, very uninvolved for the person who's, who's been harmed. After we were rudely interrupted by Miles stopping the recording, please continue, Ellie. He's just so excited. Yeah. He's <laughs> excited to have someone else in the apartment than just me. Aw, COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah, the punitive system leaves out a lot of what survivors need just because they're focused on um, gathering evidence and we need to separate like the victim, in air quotes, from... Um, the perpetrator air quotes Mm -hmm. um and i think a restorative process really allows for that kind of overlap so restorative justice um is more focused on like the survivor's experience and it's shown to have a um really high survivor satisfaction as well as really really high rates of um them not committing the crime again like recidivism Mm -hmm. and Um, because the mediator in the middle like they're trained in mental health They're usually trained in mental health as well as, like, criminal systems. Wow. Yeah. So it'd be, like, a counselor or a social worker usually. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, So you're finding a resolution together. And sometimes um, family will come to show support or community will come to show support. It's still uh, up and coming in Canada. Canada states that it's they've incorporated it into their justice practice for the last 40 years but that's kind of um it's not not true but it's not accessible either it's something that's stated as like an alternative measure under the criminal code as long as everyone agrees to it um but accessing it as a non-indigenous person in ontario as an adult is not available currently Hmm. Um, I think the only place that it's available right now is Ottawa. There's one center in Ottawa, but this is after you've gone through the criminal process and that person's in jail. Then you can, as a victim, access it. You you have to have that, like, legal number. Right. Um, So that's interesting. It's, um, yeah, (laughs) It's, it's still in the process. And, like, the politics around it, too. Like, there's been research done for the past 20 years by by scholars that have been making recommendations to the Canadian Justice Department. Um, And then going back 50 years saying, like, how much prisons and punitive justice are not causing lower rates of crime. And they're actually introducing um, people who are (laughs) committing low-level crimes to higher crime networks. Um, And despite all of the evidence that's easily accessible it's still not causing change so i'm kind of looking at why now are we instituting restorative justice or why is canada promoting it now Mm. um and i i kind of think that that's happening because maybe restorative justice is cheaper than housing criminals for years i think it's like 10 grand a year i don't know that That would make i mean that would make sense Part of the restorative justice initiative in Canada is being funded through an indigenous justice program. And uh, at the same time, Canada is recognizing that restorative justice is not 
the same as indigenous justice because it doesn't recognize indigenous sovereignty mm-hmm. and their right to self-determination in Canada. So to fund restorative justice through those programs is um, not hypocritical, but like yeah. <laughs> counterproductive. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It's, no. it's um, either or and to conflate the two. Is, is that like because they think that indigenous people would are like make up the majority of who would use that restorative justice? There's a lot of restorative justice programs right now that are accessible only to um, indigenous people. Hmm. Um, so it's not to say they wouldn't use that as like an alternative to Canada's traditional punitive measures, um, but it's not the same as what they would have. Hmm. It's not the same as like an indigenous separate law system. So if you have two evils, it's like picking the lesser evil, yeah. not having what you need. Yeah. Um, but I think Canada might be trying to institute it as like a way of saying like we have indigenous justice processes. We're not like committing genocide. We're we're like we're trying to conflate the two and like bring them together. Yeah. So you could look at that a bunch of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> So you're studying all these things. What do you want to do after you're all done school? Is this just like an elective type thing where you're just studying it now? Or is this something that you want to like do as a career? I have no idea. I honestly have no idea what I'm going to do at the end of this. Yeah. I had this dream of making this this giant sculpture. Um, so that's what I'm doing with school. I'm doing like... Um, equity studies and social work and sculpture and York let me make that into a program. That's fun. <laughs> so I'm doing social work courses and philosophy of law courses, looking at like the origins of crime and why we're dealing with it the way that we are now. Um, but I also thought that like art would reach people in a different way and it would reach a broader audience than just writing an academic paper. I agree. So I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do at the end of it. I, I hope that I can figure that out before I'm done. I also don't know what I want to do. <laughs> I think it's better that way. We shouldn't we shouldn't have too much of a plan, I don't think. But it's kind of validating at the same time to be allowed to study your own experiences in like an academic research environment, to have the resources that I have, like even like, like the professors and and the library and like all the journals that the university has access to. And like the sculpture professor I have is one of the best in Canada. And to have those people supporting you is really validating. I agree. Yeah. It's like with me after going through psychosis and getting to learn about it. Yeah. It, it's weird. It's almost like I shouldn't have this access <laughs> to all this knowledge. It's like, what are you doing? Let me do this. Yeah. But just what we were talking about before, I already forget the word that you taught me, but it's like making, like taking a negative experience and then finding something good out of it. Yeah. Alchemy. Alchemy. Yeah. I can't forget that word. Yeah. Turning something that's like commonplace into something valuable. Yeah. I like that, that way of thinking. It's like, yeah, take like the most painful experiences you've had and instead of making that uh like holding on to that oh this happened to me this happened to me it's like okay what do i am i going to do with that knowledge to make the world a little bit easier a little bit better a little bit safer or yeah turn it into a good kind of power yeah exactly exactly so how did it all start i was saying like five years ago guessing five years ago i was in a relationship there was warning signs right off the bat that I kind of discounted, like um, controlling behavior mm. and uh, flare-ups. But at it, it, the time, it seemed situational. It seemed like, oh, yeah, um, this is happening because of this, this, this extreme jealousy. As we all do. <laughs> that this person's exhibiting is like, oh, I must be doing something to cause this behavior. Yeah. Um, and... I really looked towards my partner at the time um, as like an expert in human rights because he's a human rights lawyer okay. <laughs> and uh, has done a lot of 
very powerful justice work and activist work. Um, so when the abusive behavior started, um, I didn't know how to like make sense of those two things together. Yeah. So like I would see him advocate for a lot of different people and then this person would come home and like <laughs> treat me terribly. Yeah. And that made it really difficult to understand. And it also made it really hard um, to talk to their friends about because their friends couldn't see those two things. You were worried that they wouldn't understand because you yourself didn't understand. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's tricky. And it was tricky to see, um, to have him be so honest about the trauma he'd experienced and um, with his family and growing up. And then to have that when it would come out as like abuse, it's like, okay, is that trauma or is that abuse? And sometimes it's both. It's like the person is reenacting their trauma that they've experienced. Um, but that doesn't mean that that behavior is not abusive towards me. And yeah. I'm not supposed to be in the role of being their counselor, helping them process it or their parent taking care of them. But that happened. Yeah. And I think it's frustrating too, because a lot of the times they don't even like see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So seems like it would feel very isolating for you. Yeah. Um, I hid it from a lot of people trying to protect them. I think thinking people wouldn't understand. Um, I was also, I didn't talk to my family or friends about it because I was scared of them taking the control out of my hands. Mm kind of putting thoughts into your head or telling you how to deal with the situation? Yeah. So for me, like knowing this person's context and their, their history with, with trauma and seeing that play out, I didn't feel comfortable going through like a punitive system. I, I requested that they seek help. I, I tried to support them in seeking help. Mm -hmm. But I felt like if I shared that with my friends and family, they'd be so protective of me that they would recommend and maybe even act on my behalf of like reporting this. Right. Um, and that's hard, right? It's hard to see anyone suffering violence and, and not want to like protect them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I don't... going through that right now with a friend. Yeah, so I don't blame that, but it's also like that's what kept me more isolated. Right. I was feeling like I couldn't share that without the control being taken from me. Yeah. And when you're already like in a violent situation, you don't necessarily need someone else coming and being like, oh, I'm going to take over for you because yeah. you're not handling it well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's already so much that you don't have control over. I feel like that's understandable. Absolutely. <laughs> so... Intimate partner violence tends to work in, like, cycles. <laughs> Miles. Miles. It's, like, a process of um, feeling like you're walking on eggshells. And then some sort of blow up will happen. And then there's, like, a period of, like, apologizing and, like, making amends. Mm -hmm. um, and then the longer you're in that situation, the quicker these cycles tend to happen. Until, like, you're in and you're like, oh, my God, this is happening every day. Mm. Um, this is happening all the time. You get tired. You must you, have been exhausted. You get tired. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay, a huge moment will happen where it kind of, like, shocks you. Um, so, for me, there's, like, one kind of defining moment um, where he would accuse me of things that, like, made very little sense. Like... Um, you're, you're interested in other people, you're cheating on me, even though there was no, like, supporting evidence, there's no behavior that I was doing that, that would indicate that. It's like convinced that I was, so I had to constantly prove that I wasn't. And it's mm. hard to prove something that's not happening. Um, so he would tell me that I was like, disloyal all the time. Um, so we shared uh, a room in a house with some other people and he was sitting on the bed and I was sitting on the floor 
and he was like yelling down at me like how disloyal I was and how what a terrible person I was and like what a piece of shit and like all this stuff so I got up to leave and as I was walking out he's like well if you leave then you're just showing me that you're so disloyal and like a bunch of other stuff (laughs) um to the point like this had been going on for a while so that I was almost like conditioned to believe like, yeah, I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm lucky that this person loves me. I'm lucky that this person like tolerates that we're together. Yeah. Kind of thing. You get conditioned to believe that. Um, so I went and said like, well, I don't want him to think that I'm disloyal. Like here's my opportunity to, to prove it by staying and like hearing this bullshit and like hearing him out because he's having a moment where like, I'm insecure, and if I hear him out, then he will feel more secure mm. kind of stuff. So I, I left, and I shut the door, and I went and sat back down, and uh, more crap came out of his mouth, <laughs> and, uh, and he spat at me, and he spat, like, at my face, and thought it hadn't happened before, um, but it also, like, something triggered in my memory where like he had been abused by family and he had told me this that like his family would do that to him as a kid so it became a thing (laughs) it became a thing where like the direct trauma started playing out um and in that moment i had this like click in my brain where i was like oh like this isn't about me in this moment this is about him reliving this um, unprocessed trauma. Mm-hmm. Wow, that you're able to put those two together. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, it was like it just became like such a clear click in my brain. Yeah. Uh, so I got up and I sat beside him on the bed, and uh, he had taught me how to meditate. So he, I like sat down beside him, and I remember like so clearly, it's like he was giving me like this side eye, like. Like almost like like a someone who really doesn't trust you, just like like why are you sitting close to me, kind of thing. Like, are you gonna hurt me? Yeah, was like the look, like waiting to be hit, kind of thing. And uh, I just laid him down, and I put my hand on his stomach, and I said, "Breathe in, okay, breathe out," and like walked him through like a mindfulness meditation, and he was just like this became this little boy basically but that's kind of like that's what that relationship became like I became like the counselor slash mother slash like that wasn't a romantic relationship after that it was your job yeah it was a job but it was also like parent child Mm. type bond where like I'm looking after this person Mm. um so that was like tricky to sort through but yeah, in that moment, I came, became very, like, detached from even myself. Like, I'm not, it's not about me in this moment. And, like, I don't know. I remember that as, like, something, like, maybe that shouldn't have happened that way. But I also remember it as something, like, very, very selfless. Yeah. To, like, recognize in that moment that it's, like, yes, this shitty thing is happening to you. Um, and it's not okay. And if anyone told me that, I'd be horrified. But... I remember it as like a very selfless moment of being like, okay, this is who I am. I'm not going to respond to violence with violence or disrespect with disrespect. I'm going to respond to like the cause. You made it. You made a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I like that about myself instead of like, I'm like, oh, you're doing this to me. I can do this to you. Mm-hmm. You're hurting me. I'm going to hurt you back. Like how, how does that become productive? Yeah. And how does that ever lead, like, anyone to deal with trauma? And I feel like if I had gone down that path, that would have been, like, a continuation. Like, he passed that trauma on to me, and now I'm acting it out kind of thing. You weren't allowing it to become your trauma. You did what you needed to do to, I wouldn't say fix the situation, but I would say, (laughs) I would say breaking a cycle, I think. Yeah, hopefully. For you. For me. For me. Yeah. Like, one, like, uh, this is not something I'm willing to tolerate, but I'm willing to look at why it's happening. Yeah. And I think that's interesting that, like, in the moment you 
kind of were able to stay, take a step back out of the situation and, like, see what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> Still fucked up, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't believe he, like, spat at you. That's so disrespectful. Yeah, that's probably, like, one of the most disrespectful. It's not like like it is an act of violence, but it's it's not like physical harm but it's like the ultimate level of disrespect absolutely yeah would you say that was like a defining moment where you wanted things to change yeah yeah he's having problems with like drinking and stuff and he practiced martial arts so that was kind of scary oh Um, gosh yeah like knowing this person was like stronger than me was scary Mm um after that my perspective changed, but his perspective didn't. Like the next day, it like he didn't change, mm. kind of thing. Like that moment wasn't like him realizing anything, right? So much as me realizing something. Um, but it definitely like like that pattern continued for a while. He would do something like decide he was angry at me and throw all of my books out of the room, like. <laughs> Chucking them out of the house. Oh, great. And I'd be like, okay, um, let's go for a walk and, like, hold my hand and, like, like you can tell me whatever you want. Like, we'll go for a walk and, like, we'll figure out why this behavior is happening the way it's happening. And, like, what, what's actually going on? Why are you insecure about something mm. that happened kind of thing? But he wasn't interested in trying to, you know, fix things and change and be no. productive? No. Um, so as much as he could be like aware of other people's harms and what they were doing to be like an activist and like recognize like like very very smart person like you would never realize this was happening from the outside he couldn't recognize it in the moment like he had no he thought his behavior was reasonable given the the situation how old were you at this time i was 22 23 was he older? Yeah. Yeah, he was about five years older. That's crazy to me. Shayna's shaking her head. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, I just don't understand how people can be so, like, n- not self-aware. Yeah. Yeah, he was, like, emotional intelligence was, was not there. His, his intellect was there. His emotional intelligence was not there at that point. But yeah, what's more productive to hear about? Or traumatic shit, or... <laughs> whatever you want to share this is your story hmm. whatever you would want to listen back on one day or things that you want to share with other people I guess another moment like I should mention like cultural barriers it's interesting hmm. um, very uh, so his racial background was different from mine I've since done a lot of like anti-racist research and training um but at the time i had very little awareness i just thought like default not racist racist is like a choice um so i wasn't aware of like microaggressions i may have been committing or behaviors i wasn't aware of that could have been like racist or or inappropriate at least um so stuff would happen like um, we went to a cultural event where he was getting an award for something he did. I was kind of like nervous to be there. I was like, oh, I'm the guest of someone who's getting an award. And mm-hmm. um, the whole event was like people of his culture um, that were honoring him for activist work he had done. Mm. And uh, and I was excited. I was excited to be there with him. And uh, I didn't know very many people and people were coming up to him and talking and and I saw someone that I knew, like a friend of his. Um, so I ran up and like hugged that person. I was like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Like, I don't know anybody here. And I uh, thought nothing of it. And like before we left, I gave the guy another hug. And uh, we went home. <laughs> thought nothing of it. Um, and then like a month later, um, we were walking to school. And he just blew up at me, like, out of the blue. And was like, you're such a whore. Um, You're embarrassing to me. Like, look at you, like, 
showing this other guy affection in front of like my whole community and like said a bunch of really vulgar stuff. And I was really confused because I had no idea. I'm like, is this like actually wrong in, in his conservative community or is this just something that's like an excuse to like make me feel small? Um, yeah, and like you didn't know, you weren't intentionally. Yeah, so doing it's that. it's like a thing of like, does it matter if it's intentional or does it matter that it happened, kind of thing. I don't know. Like, I don't have I don't have a big cultural background, but like, if I was in that situation, I would just say like, hey, just so you know, next time mm-hmm. that could be really taken. I know you didn't know that, but just so you know, like that could have been handled. Instead of calling you a whore. <laughs> See, that's a very empathetic response that's um, productive and, like, caring. Like, oh, you're being portraying yourself in this way and you're not aware of it. Yeah. If you want to continue doing that, keep doing it. If you don't want to continue doing that, just so you know. Yeah, now you know. Now you know. Um, if you know, you know. But I think that was, like, also rooted in a lot of his, like, jealousy and like strangely like a lot of um abuse from like men towards women becomes it's like rooted in like jealousy and like you're cheating on me and like most of the stories i've heard of like women being abused that becomes part of it it's like you're cheating on me you're interested in these other people you're su- you're such a whore you're such a slut and it's like i'm treating you this way because you made me treat you this way yeah like that you're saying like finding things to be angry about yeah like he like that happened a month he said it was a month before he actually brought it up like it sounds like he was just in a bad mood one day and used that as an excuse to like yell at you yeah so you have to remember this person's a lawyer so they're trained to listen for discrepancies so he would get me to he would ask me a question and i'd be like oh this person's such a good listener and he was, but like a week later, he'd ask me the same question and like, again, or ask it in like a different way. And this would happen a lot where like, he'd be like, well, you said this, is this not true? And like, you know, you're like, you're, you're recalling a memory and like, you remember parts of it, but you don't remember other parts of it. Yeah. Or like something happened that day and you, you remember one thing and you don't remember another part of it. See, so he would listen for discrepancies Mm. and those discrepancies would be brought up as proof of like disloyalty or me lying or anything so yeah is that like a gaslighting thing that's a gaslighting thing because you're not willing to believe the other person for what they're saying you're looking for a reason to like hold them accountable for whatever behavior you think that they're doing. Mm. So it's like, he's afraid of betrayal. So he's looking for he's finding evidence. He's looking for evidence of me being someone who would betray him. Mm. Um, so in the moment, it might just be a hug of another person. But later on, when he's ruminating about it, it might be like, oh, and then she hugged this one person. So maybe she's hugging other people. Maybe she's touching other people. Maybe she's checking out other people and she's making a fool of me. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Being some type of fortune teller that's seeing the future that isn't real. Yeah. He's almost like trying to make it real because he's so scared of it happening. Right. And um, it would almost be easier for those things to be true. Yeah. Or taking something and magnifying it so much that it's like becomes a big deal when really it's just like, I'm happy to see you. Yeah. You can't have any male friends because like that's terrifying to me. And like, what if this happens? Or like, you've told me stories of your youth when you were like traveling around and like interested in people and you slept with people you weren't in like committed relationships with. Like, mm-hmm. that's terrifying to him. <laughs> what if like you're secretly like that and I just don't know about it after three years? Yeah. <laughs> So I'm curious to know, um, what would you do if like a friend came to you and like had that situation? I've had friends come to me um, and they're telling me like this person's starting to act like this and like 
and they do like like abusive people especially in relationships because they know you intimately they know what will make you scared and what will make you intimidated um so when they bring stuff up it's like it becomes a reflection of like this person knows me intimately and they think that about me it's more you're more willing to take it as like this is true which is scary Mm -hmm. um so i think having like a strong sense of like who you are before you get into any relationship is really important yeah um there's a quote it's like love yourself before you love someone else but i don't think that's true i think it's like know yourself before you get to know someone else yeah and like don't this is my advice it's like don't enter relationships before you're whole yeah um so that you don't bring in past junk (laughs) or like seek something that you don't have in the other person to fill it for you yeah like relationships can be a great way like a great mirror of like stuff you you don't see in yourself but at the same time if you're share like trying to create something or share something with someone else and you're not whole like you're looking for them to fill those parts of yourself that you're not willing or able to give to yourself yet so i think that that's that's scary yeah i've been thinking that lately too like you find someone that you you know that you don't think you're good enough for and you see them and you think no i'm not i'm not good enough for them i need to find someone that's like more has problems like i have problems it that says something about yourself like okay why don't i think that i'm good enough i have some things that i need to work on yeah yeah and i think like um for this relationship that i'm talking about it was almost like the opposite i felt like this person was too good for me when we got together Mm. like i was just starting my undergrad at that point and this person's already established and important and people look up to them and like for all the work that they do Mm. um so it became like easier for me to believe the stuff he was saying about me um because you trusted him i trusted him but i also like put him on a pedestal a little bit and like believed in the work that he was doing um that changed your perspective on yeah (laughs) it changed my perspective it made it seem like yeah it has to be me because this is who he is outside of me before we were together and that that was hard that was hard to like understand and rectify a little bit tricky yeah how do you feel now um good i feel good about myself yeah yeah you said you haven't really shared a lot about it eh no No, it took me a long time to feel comfortable, like even understanding, uh, understanding um, what happened in yourself, like, like sorting through all of these things. Um, When I got the courage to like leave that relationship, it happened in stages. So first I moved out of the house and I told him like, this is really important for, for me kind of thing. I need to do this um how did he take that um half and half there was like periods of anger um but it was also like me saying like i need to do this for myself and because i don't know if this is like a classic abuse thing but like because i felt like the abuse from him was coming from like a traumatic place and a mental health place um he was able to see like when he wasn't in those moments of like reenacting the trauma and 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 acting abusively when he wasn't like that he was supportive and like happy and like did it come in waves yeah Hmm. yeah so it's like it's not that it wasn't consistent it was like (laughs) the moments it was happening it was happening and then there was also a relationship happening parallel to that Mm -hmm. um so he helped me move into my new place and like um once i was out of there i had a lot more room to think um and i was also help hoping that he would get help at the same time like i wouldn't be there to be like an emotional crutch Mm -hmm. or a financial crutch 
for him. He would be forced to act. Um, and hoping that like our roommates and his friends would step in and stuff. So that was like step one. Um, step two is like when he would come over because I wasn't there all the time to like um, absorb <laughs> his trauma or help process his trauma. There was less good moments. So he would come over when he needed something or he would come over when like he was having a difficult time. So his mental health actually became worse when I left. And eventually, <laughs> eventually after I'd moved out, um, he showed up and, and said like, oh, I just wanted to give you like, I owed you $40 for something. So I just showed up to give you this money and like threw it and was like, here, have this. But that was just kind of an excuse to show up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I said, okay. And I left. And then uh, I was out walking and I saw him and I actually hid from him because I was and scared. And you're still together, right? We're still together. Okay. And to me, that was like, I'm like, I cannot be in a relationship with someone I'm like literally hiding from. No, it doesn't make any sense. So I went home <laughs> and uh, he came back and I opened my door and he was just there. And he was just, like, there to pick a fight as, like, an excuse to show up, if that makes sense. It's like, I'm here, but I'm angry, so, like, you have to, like, soothe me. But I'm here, and I'm showing up, and you should just be grateful that I'm showing up. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I'm like, look, like, we need to have a conversation. And I just, like, outlined to him, I'm like, when you're doing these things, when you're being verbally abusive, like, like this is not okay, this is abusive behavior, I'm not, it was like a literal conversation of like me outlining to him in almost like a legal way of like, this is the abuse that's happening. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to tolerate it. Like we cannot be in a relationship where you're being abusive and like stopped kind of thing. So we broke up um, or I broke us up, but for about a year after he still relied on me in like a codependent way to make sure he was okay. So he would call me when he was falling apart for about a year after. Um, would call me and leave me suicide notes kind of thing. Would disappear after and I would have to like find him. So yeah, it wasn't like in like we broke up and then it was over. It was like almost like a continuous process of me saying like, no, I need this time. No, I need this space, which was hard to do knowing that he was like mentally unstable knowing that like I'd taken him to the mental health um, floor and like had to check him in and like worrying about like what he would do to himself kind of thing, worrying that he would kill himself um, and still to break up with him. It was like, that was a really difficult choice yeah, to make. But after that, like I, he called me from the, the mental health board. And I basically said like, look, like I, I care about you. All of this stuff is happening. Um, as a person, I really care about you. I really love you. Just, I need you to not call me anymore because I will always take your calls because I care, but I cannot, like it's, it's not healthy for me. So I need you to just not call me anymore. <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. Um, and I still received a few calls after that, but it, it, he tried to respect that basically. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so that was At something. <laughs> and then I waited for a long time. I, I tried to wait like a couple of years before I started dating because I didn't want to bring that into my next relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but that was tricky because like when you've gone through um, trauma, extensive trauma over a period of, of years and like especially with a lot of gaslighting, um, you stop knowing what's real in a way like you start believing what they're saying or like not knowing whether to believe what they said um, or your experience and there was moments like that I didn't remember that I had like blackout periods that I don't remember what happened um, so it was like I don't know can I forgive him do I let it go especially when you don't know exactly what happened yeah so that was that was tricky it was really tricky and I was dealing with all of this, like, by myself, basically. Yeah, and, like, how do you learn to, like, 
let that go and be able to bring in something potentially good <laughs> after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us. <laughs> Teach us. The next person I dated, we were friends for a while first. It was like a mutual friend introduced us. Mm-hmm. And and he knew, like he knew all of this, basically. Like he was one of the people I felt comfortable talking to. Okay. And we would like, we were friends. We would go for walks and we would talk a lot. I would hear like all of, I'm like, tell me the, the chronicles of your life kind of thing. Like, wait, 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 we skipped a chapter. Go Aww. back, go back. That's nice. Yeah. So like when we got together, it wasn't a surprise. Right. You kind of knew this person already. Yeah. And not. And to he say, knew. Yeah. Right. So it's not to say that that makes it um, so that stuff doesn't come up because you never know. Like, yeah. When, flare-ups all oh, this this jog my memory about this or this this triggered this memory kind of thing maybe a little more reassuring yeah it was like i didn't want to shock the other person i wanted them to be able to meet me where i was at so i had to be transparent about where i was at with that that sounds healthier yeah i think <laughs> that's a healthy choice yeah yeah and now and now, now you have been the health and safety representative at our workplace to make our <laughs> workplace feel safe. So that's something that you're doing now proactively. You're making sure other people are safe and know that they, <laughs> what boundaries that we should have and what is and isn't okay. Because a lot of the time, um, like we, we were talking about before, like when you're in it, you don't know that it's like a bad thing until someone says, hey, this actually doesn't seem very healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're learn you're you're using your experiences for good. Yeah. You kind of look at your life as a human being. It's like, do you just suffer for the sake of suffering or what do you do with that information? Yeah. Um, like it's one thing to like personally grow from it, but like, how are you going to help other people to deal with this situation? Yes. Um, so that's how you find your purpose. I feel. Yeah. Your purpose or like something to keep you busy. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we're all going to die as we were just talking about before. Yeah. We've, well, you haven't watched the movie yet, right? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. No, we're yeah. talking about the new movie. Don't look up and, how the world's gonna end and we'll do whatever makes you happy and if things are making you happy then why the heck are you doing it because yeah we only have a limited amount of time all we can do is our best yeah and like reflecting on mortality gives you the i don't think it gives you the courage because it's still scary as fuck to like share your story the motivation, maybe? Yeah, it gives you the, the motivation or the incentive to, like, kick your ass into gear and be like, look, very limited time. Um, you can sit on this knowledge or you can do something productive with it. And I think, like, trying to make the world slightly better is worthwhile. I think the one adjective, is it an adjective, that always pops up for me is resilience. Hmm. Always. Like, it always boils down to resilience. Like, Anyone that asks me, like, how did you get through what you went through? Resilience. <laughs> like, you literally, anything could break you down to your lowest point. And it's up to you, no matter what kind of support system you have or whoever, all the, no matter how much money you have, resources you have, like, you need to be resilient and put in the work and, like, do it for yourself. You have to be there for yourself. Yeah. Get yourself out of it. Yeah. And I think, like, anyone can tell you what you need to hear, but if you're not really ready to hear it, then it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't mean much. Like, it might sit in the back of your mind until you're ready to hear it. <laughs> Miles. Comic relief. Miles. Well, once you're ready to hear it, um, then you can take it and turn it into something better. Yeah. My stepbrother passed away right after Kenzie passed away. Fuck. And, like literally a week after. Fuck. Yeah, I got that phone call. And um, it's it just made me think about like how much guilt his family was feeling 
and how I wish I could tell them like, and Kenzie too, like no matter how much support you have and resources you have, like you, like you said, like people could tell you anything if you're not ready to hear it, like it's up to you. And like, it takes a lot of willpower, I think, to change the course of your day-to-day life. And it, it starts with one, like, if you don't start now, it'll just repeat tomorrow and, like, keep going. You need to break the cycle. Yeah. And that's really hard to do. <laughs> like, it's really hard to do. I think of who I want to be when I'm a counselor. I'm literally going to be, like, a gym teacher yelling at people. <laughs> Like shaking them, like you, like you gotta do it. Yeah, you and gotta like, do it. We all need to hear that. Yeah, too, right? Tough love. Tough love. I think for what else? What are you doing? For the past, hold on. For the past, like two months or so, I've been like so gentle with people that have like came to me and talked about their problems and like I've listened to them vent and been very like you know take what I'm saying with a grain of salt no (laughs) don't take it with a grain of salt here's what you need to do Hmm. change change is hard and scary but it's the only thing that's gonna change (laughs) yeah and yeah sometimes you have to be that person for yourself yeah yeah give yourself a little smack yeah like women especially like Everything we give to everyone else, we need to consider giving it to ourselves. Self-compassion. Yeah, even before other people. Like, women are are trained to be caretakers of others, especially men in relationships. Yeah. Um, That needs to stop. Yeah. (laughs) Like, flat out. Like, I don't think that's serving anyone except the, the men who are completely unaware of everything that they're receiving (laughs) yeah i heard this quote yesterday it was like or not a quote but like someone talking and she basically said like if your partner if you're coming to your partner with like a problem how you're not on the same page if they don't genuinely seem to be wanting to be on the same page as you you're wasting this is it shouldn't this you should just stop there's no point (laughs) yeah like if someone if a friend that I care about comes to me or like a partner or someone comes to me with a problem Hmm. I genuinely listen and like even if I don't personally which doesn't really happen very often but like if I don't think I've done something (laughs) wrong usually I'm on their side but like I want to fix it and I want to be on that same page and understand and even if I don't understand I want to be on their level and like build up from it Mm -hmm. if they're down here and I'm up here like I want to be on the same page yeah you want to hear what they're saying and then take it in and then work it out together yeah I think that's the most important thing as opposed to like dismissing what they're saying because it doesn't align with where you're at yeah or like start an argument (laughs) (laughs) super productive yeah like super healthy yeah I don't know. I think there's a lot of things that we learn. We're never going to stop learning. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's going to be a continuous journey. It's just a matter of how much do you want to stay on the learning train? Yeah. Or do you want to just get off and... I'm happy here. Yeah. <laughs> there's one thing I wanted to, to say or something that occurred to me is like, for a long time, I didn't share my story because I was processing it. And when I finally decided to, <laughs> sorry, finally decided that that I wanted to, I wanted to share it. Like I wanted to do my master's anyways, but I couldn't think about any other program. Like when I, I was like, oh, I'll apply to this. I can apply to that. And like, you're supposed to diversify when you apply. So you're not just like putting all your eggs in one basket. But I couldn't really think of like, anything else I wanted to study other than than this because I felt like it was an important part that was missing is like if you don't want to go through a punitive legal system and like how that can be traumatizing for a survivor of violence what other options are there and Mm. not to have any other options is absurd Mm -hmm. um and to being able to attach my own story to that I felt like made it a lot more powerful 
And yeah. when and when I did decide to share that, I was met with like a lot of validation. Like people are funding my education, they're funding my my project, they're they're giving me resources. You found your people <laughs> to pursue it, and 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 they're giving me opportunities that I never would have had. Like this sculpture professor, um, I have no background in sculpture, but I had this dream of this bronze piece that I wanted to make something permanent that felt valuable and expensive and time consuming to make. Mm. Um, and that all lends itself to like the final object, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it just made me feel really, really grateful. And like when you do start being transparent and letting people see you, that sort of thing happens. Like you're not met with like, oh, you're, like, you're such an idiot for living through that. You're met with like, <laughs> you know what I mean though? It's like people think like survivors of violence are like, why did she stay? <laughs> Like I think we're asking the wrong questions, but that that feeling still that shame still keeps you in it, right? And when you start talking about it, one, it becomes yours. Yeah. Um, you own it, and two, like people are they see that public sharing as courageous. They don't see it as shame. Yes, there is power. There's so much power in owning and accepting the things that have happened to you, and like. They made you who you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so much power in that. And people see it. That was the first thing that I learned when I was eventually accepting and like telling people what had happened to me instead of lying and like hiding it is I felt very powerful and that it didn't have power over me. I had, I had the control. Yeah. And it's not like a bad control. It was like, I'm, I'm in control of my life and, kind of brings brings a piece to it yeah yeah i'm i'm looking forward to seeing this sculpture <laughs> i'm gonna invite you to the opening oh my god oh my god yeah. so exciting i'm gonna have a live live podcast and we're live <laughs> it's gonna be great i'm so excited for your new venture and i can't wait to come see you in in toronto oh fuck yeah oh my gosh it's you can help with the sculpture. You can go lend a hand. I would love that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm sad to see you go, but me too. Don't I love to see you walk away? <laughs> <laughs> no, good. I'm. I'm not worried one bit. I'm very. I'm very excited for you. And even though, yeah, I am sad to see you leave, but I know that you're gonna do really good things. And like, you're so creative, and it's just gonna. <laughs> Bloom. Let's launch this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get this show on the road. There we go. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I like that when I found out you were doing these podcasts, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy the, you know, the connections you make and the things that you learn. Like, I love doing these episodes with other guests because I get to, like, I've learned so much. And, you know, I don't, I don't have a sense of like, oh, I feel so bad. I'm so sorry this happened to you. You know what I mean? Oh, pity. Just what I need. Yeah. Like, and sometimes I think I'm like, oh my God, am I heartless that I'm not like, oh oh my God. But no, I'm, I'm learning. And like, I, I empathize and I feel what you felt. But I'm, I'm using that as, like, I'm absorbing it as education and, like, learning mm-hmm. how it is for someone in your perspective to go through that. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with me. Yeah. And you're not only just, like, using it as, like, your own um, empathetic learning process. It's, like, you're also sharing it with everyone else and, like, yeah. making a point of sharing it with everyone else. Yeah. I want, I want other people... To hear someone as powerful as you is <laughs> so loud. Okay, I feel powerful. That's not that. I'm powerful. Yes. It's just I laugh when I get compliments. Mm, that's fair. <laughs> at, least you're, at least you can take them. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, I, I that's what I that's all I hope for this podcast is that people can feel included and learn something and maybe feel a little bit of empathy for 
other people's experiences. Yeah. And know that we're all having the same experiences Yeah. behind closed doors. Yep. You never know. You never know what someone's going through. <laughs> and Miles is just living his life. <laughs> Happy Bobby. Yeah. And there we have it. Another episode has come to an end. I want to thank Ellie again so much for coming on and sharing her story and her knowledge on intimate partner violence. Now, Ellie has moved away. She moved to Toronto since we recorded this, and it just makes me miss her even more. So I hope in the near future I can go visit, or Ellie, if you come to Kingston, (laughs) let me know. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. I look forward to speaking to you much sooner than five months from now. (laughs) I love you. Bye.